Is the banner at the bottom blue or pink? Those are not going to get you anywhere. And you are much better off taking a wild swing, introducing a huge wild card. And even if it flops, at least you've learned something. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right, today we're trying something different. We're going to get really tactical. So I'm bringing on our director of growth, Jordan Summers, and we're going to essentially give the playbook out about how you should think about running your paid ad. So even if you're just getting started, if you're only able to spend five to $20,000 a month on ads, what do you do? We want to give you some advice on how to think through approaching spending your hard-earned dollars on Facebook ads, Instagram ads to maximize how you can get return, how you can get ROI. So hopefully you enjoy this one and you get something out of it, but we'll get on with the show. All right, today on the podcast, I am bringing on our director of growth, And we're going to nerd out a little bit. The goal is for anyone that's looking to grow their company on their own to do paid acquisition, what do you do? So the goal is to give people all the answers to that task so they can be good. So, so excited to welcome our director of growth at Growth Hit, uh, Jordan Summers. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jim. Exciting to be here. I've been a longtime listener. Yes, because I forced you to on our Slack channel, but that's another story. But um, no, at first, a little context on Jordan and myself. Um, so you know, we have a growth agency called Growth Hit, a kind of a boutique firm that works with a lot of you know consumer e-commerce D2C companies that are doing some good things and want to grow. And you know, this agency just started where it was like myself trying to figure this out. And along the way, I've been lucky to hire people significantly smarter than myself. And Jordan is one of those. But the courting process for getting Jordan was not easy. Um, She played hard to get what she should. She had a lot of options. But Jordan, if you reflected on like the hiring process, like, like, what do you recall from us trying to work together? Yeah, I from the beginning I was very excited and I initially saw the job posting on Dynamite Jobs which was something that I'd heard about on a Tim Ferriss podcast years ago because I haven't listened to it lately. I was really just thinking, you know, what what might be a new option, something a little more exciting, a little more entrepreneurial. It had been a while since I'd been really involved in startups specifically and entrepreneurship. That's definitely where my roots are, but I kind of lost my way. And honestly, I was not hunting through very many places, but I happened to visit Dynamite Jobs one day and saw this team called Growth Hit. And in the job description, it had some pretty sassy language, some things about um, not having jerks. And it was just, it just felt very genuine. And it just seemed very aligned. The reason it took so long, Jim, was nothing to do with growth hits or you, more to do with trying to leave my team in the best place possible. A lot of marketers, I'm sure, can relate. It is a very high turnover industry, and it's quite competitive to compete for talent, especially in-house. If you're looking for someone 
kind of in that in-between, especially, you know, not quite entry level, but maybe they don't have a decade of experience under their belt and maybe they're not a CMO. That is such a tricky space to find and keep talents in. And so kudos for sticking with it. Um, yeah, that, that, that's what I would say there. It's, it's more around not trying to abandon people because of course, you know, when you invest in a program, you want to see everyone succeed. However, for your own individual development, sometimes it's the right, right thing to walk away and look for something new. So that, that's my recollection of it. I know we did some pilot projects at first to kind of test the waters and those are really fun. I got to work with Angela immediately. And honestly, Jim, I think Angela sold me on Growth Hit more than anything. Just talking to her on the phone, she was so real. And we both kind of had this sense of, okay, I'm talking to someone who gets it, who who cares, who is interested in, in the game. I hope that gives you some insight. Yeah, Angela's our creative director. She was definitely the closer. And there, I think there's some call outs there that are interesting for anyone that's hiring because you had a lot of options. You could have gone a lot of different paths, like a big brand could have gone maybe like VC side. But one thing that's cool is how we how you found us was through Dynamite Jobs and even the Tim Ferriss podcast, because for us, where we can find the right people, it's it's truly if they align on what we're trying to do here. It's like, we want everybody to like, essentially be an entrepreneur, be able to eventually have like equity and things. We want to have a, an environment where it's, you know, remote first. It's not about hours, about just getting stuff done. And if you get stuff done, do whatever you want, right? We don't have meetings on Fridays. And so people that align with that culture is, is, is really big, but you like, for me, like, it's really hard as an agency owner to know the right person to hire. Do you go the the junior person and you train them up and give them the blueprint what to do so you can start them with low wages, but then they can grow with you? Or do you pay up, get the senior person where it'll cost a lot, but wow, they'll, they'll take a lot of problems off of what you do. And to be honest, I go with what the market gives. And you're actually, for me, in the sweet spot of this third option where it's this up and comer where you're like this stock that if you could buy up shares of you, you would want to do that because in X amount of years, the the ROI is going to be insane. But it's also like not 10 years down the road where I, I, thought I definitely could not afford you. But it's fun for me because catching you at this phase where when you, you come in at an early stage company, you can grow so much title-wise, comp-wise, and just what you learn. So for me, it was not only were the right person, but the right stage of your career, which is really cool. Because I, I used to, I was at a startup where I was like employee 18 and sell that to employee like 150. And I got to work side by side the CEO the entire way. And for me, that was my MBA, was, was doing that. But, um, but anyway, not to make... Uh, our listeners go down our memory lane, but it was, it was very interesting because it's hard to find good talent. And uh, we feel so lucky that we, we landed on Jordan, but uh, anyway, now, now we're on a podcast. So look at us. We're making it happen. Well, it's very flattering, Jim. Thank you for such a generous intro to the podcast. All right. Yeah. So you, you can't quit for at least two more months now. So there we go. Um, so <laughs> so, so here's the goal. We get so many clients come to us. They're like, Hey, I want to run ads. I'm a, I'm a D to C company. I'm on Shopify. You know, I want to grow. I can maybe spend five to 10 grand on like my ad budget. So, you know, if someone's coming to you, Jordan, with this question, first, how should they even think about approaching growth? 
at this stage where they have some traction, they have product market fit, and they want to like put their foot on that big green like button that is like growth, what should they do? Well, if they're coming with a five to 10K, you know, ballpark budget, my first question is, does that include photography? Because if it doesn't, I'm probably going to tell you to go away and come back after you've spent almost that much money in making your products look really, really good, getting hopefully at least some videography, even if it's on your own iPhone, that's totally fine. However, if you try to make that plunge into paid acquisition, especially before taking the time to invest in the assets for your full funnel, they don't have to be different. They can be the same exact photos in the ad, on the landing page, in your email campaigns, but they've they have to be engaging. They have to resonate with your customer and they have to show how your product works. I know, Jim, you are very repetitive on show, don't tell. Sometimes I would argue a little bit and say, why not both? Uh, but I, I think the point here is the visual assets that you have are going to be the ammunition that will help you make paid acquisition work and scale more quickly than not. After we jump through that hurdle, then we could go in a whole lot of directions. The second question I would have after, do you have any assets? Would be, what is the level of skill you have to commit to ongoing creative production? This is beyond the initial assets you have. Do you have a high quality video editor who can turn things around on a weekly cadence. That may not be the case for every brand or every team at the immature stages. In fact, I've worked with really huge corporations that are multinational. They are S&P 100 and they don't have it together. So this isn't to rail on anyone in this position. It's just simply to be realistic and ask, okay, on a monthly, on a weekly basis, what are we going to be able to turn around? Depending on that answer combined with your customer persona, then that would help me understand what channels should you explore first. I know Facebook, I, I, my brain started to say meta, but to be honest, that's really never going to change in my mind. I think the way I speak about it, at, at least as an ads platform, unless they launch a totally new social media network, but when we're thinking about most consumer-facing brands, Facebook probably is the fastest growth lever with the lowest creative demand. That doesn't mean there's no creative demand. That doesn't mean it, you can put one ad up and have it run flawlessly for the rest of the year. There are always exceptions. However, if you don't have a high-quality video editor, if you don't have high-quality videography, that is going to be your best growth lever in the short run for the vast majority of businesses not doing a million in revenue yet. Gotcha. So it's like, okay, let's invest in assets because that's the core of running these paid social campaigns. Got it. Um, but what if I'm like, okay, I can invest in assets, but I'm not trying to break the bank. Like, can you give me some hacks or tips on what should those assets look like? Do I have to go professional? Could I do influencers and do user generated? Like, can you give some like even frameworks or formulas of types of creative that has worked with consumer brands? That could be apparel, beauty, or, or whatever category. Totally. In my mind, I have apparel as an example. I will say apparel is the best industry for being able to follow an iterative creative process and get the results you want. Of course, you can apply to the other industries. 
the nuances starts to get a little more (laughs) intricate. So using an example of apparel, which you and I both have been involved in different apparel scaling stories, both, I think, like very well-recognized names and then some that are a little more niche. But in that instance, the number one thing that we focus on first is what is the hook product? So it's not so much about trying out a million different snazzy templates or the most polished ads, but out the gate knowing that the product you show the person on the other side of the screen is probably going to have the biggest impact out of any variable you try. I would say at that stage, it's it's not about investing tons and tons of cash. It's about quickly testing. Okay, is it sweaters that work really well for new customer acquisition? Is it dresses? Um, is there a particular skew we have that we know gets people in the door? So you can think outside of apparel and just think, okay, what's our hero product? What's our hook? What's the thing that gets the most people interested, even if they buy something completely different? A common example I see, especially on shoes and apparel, are people will click the most exciting pattern and they will almost always buy the most boring version. So also push yourself outside of your comfort zone. Don't think that you have to showcase the product that is maybe already doing the most volume. Think about what helps you stand out on, if we're thinking Facebook and the feed, but really any social media platform. A, what's going to make us stand out? B, what's going to get someone interested enough to give us a second look beyond that initial 0.3 seconds or whatever typically they're going to scroll past? And then three, what is something that is a little universal in appeal and is representative of the brand, even if they don't buy that? Um, That's where I would start with creative testing. We could go on and on about the the stack of variables. I don't know if you want to go in that direction, Jim, or if you have a different question. Yeah, so this is helpful. It's like, all right, invest in creative, but specifically, what is your flagship product? What is that acquisition product where if people haven't heard about you, but they are introduced to your brand through this product, it's the best representation. And I'd love to get into some examples because one thing I think about is it could be the one that best represents like the one that solves a problem or adds value. Like we had a brand, Universal Standard, it's a women's size inclusive fashion brand where they had this dress, the Geneva dress, and it was positioned as the travel dress because it looked really nice and professional, but it was jersey knit and it just like was super comfy. And that utility was something that got people really excited. We'd also test their jeans, which is always great. Once you get jeans, the repeat purchase is high. And there was a t-shirt that was really nice, but that Geneva dress really was very unique. But it was like, I think 120, 140 bucks, whereas their shirts were around 50. So we would be really exper- experimenting. Do you go with the one that's best representation or one that's maybe this kind of tripwire product, one that's more approachable? So I'd be interested if you have any other examples and also like how you showcase that. Because like I had some epic fails where we would have branding agencies do like this 20 grand video that flopped. And then we'd have some influencer send us a picture and that would just kill it. We couldn't dethrone it. But I'd be interested in in any other thoughts around positioning those hero products. Yeah. For some examples, this is not quite the norm, but Billy comes to mind as a really successful acquisition strategy. They push their starter kits and then they have all sorts of upsells. And these are Billy razors. Is that correct? 
Correct. Correct. So Billy is a brand that really was aiming to capture the, the female market on the coattails of the Harry's success. I forget who owns Billy, but they have kind of that entry product. So for some CPG, for consumables, it might look something like a starter kit where then you kind of get them in your ecosystem after they've tried it and then they're hooked. For maybe something that's more for Wink, Wink is an example. They have these taste kits. They give you, I, I forget how many, but it's six or so, little miniature, so you can try all of their different flavors. Then when we think about apparel, it's typically a specific product that is universally flattering. So for, you know, Mestiza, for example, they have the Flora dress. Angela and I really think it's just is universally flattering. And so that's something we're really keen on testing into because we think people can envision themselves in it. So if it's a higher dollar item, I would think either of what colors look good on a lot of people, navies. I've tested this so many times, Jim, in the apparel space, but blues and navy hues consistently are top performers, which is very interesting that that's been replicated at all sorts of different price points throughout my time running paid acquisition. There's probably more examples, but those are just some that come to mind. But back to your question around, okay, do we need to invest a lot in assets? I don't think the answer, the answer is no, you just need to do it. You should be evaluating the levers first. So we talked about first the lever of being hero product, regardless of industry. After that is going to be probably the position messaging. How are you framing the hero product? Are you specifically talking about benefits it provides. If it's something in the beauty industry or apparel, something more aesthetic, it might simply be a very clean image of the product itself, either styled or in context. That's where we can see some of that lifestyle imagery work really well. Yeah, well, I th so you, what you're hitting on is something really nice. It's first, let's get the creative down, the type of creative. Let's hone in, not just selling a brand creative, but what are your hero products? And then the next thing you're hitting on is like, okay, how do we position this? And one thing you've been really good at is like, let's come up with these frameworks. We can talk about benefits. We can talk about use cases like the travel dress, or maybe it's solving a problem, um, or maybe it's just the aspiration. And so the question mm -hmm. I have for you is like, you have these different types of, content and assets, I'm spending five to 10 K a month. Like how much do I need? And also this cadence of experiments every week or two, how do I kind of feed the beast? Like any advice on how people should, should manage that process? Sure. At the very onset, I would say, set your expectations. Not everything is going to be a hit and it's okay. If every ad creative you create does not spend a lot of money. There's constantly a push and pull between getting super scientific, I put in quotes, for those just listening and not watching, results versus heavily prioritizing the short-term ROAS, CPA, whatever your target is. I would say we should really set our sights on the middle. How do we rapidly test different concepts also without completely sabotaging our short-term goals? But if we overfixate on the CAC for this week, we're going to be in a lot of trouble in three months when whatever we're doing now kind of runs out of steam and we have no new ideas. In the 5 to 15K budget world, realistically, th this is a small budget when it comes to paid acquisition. I do want to be very clear and transparent about that. 
And even within that small budget, there are still a lot of things you can test. I would recommend potentially having two lanes of campaigns, aggregating as much as possible, consolidating your structure as much as possible within those. Have one where you're a little more focused on testing the creative angles, leveraging probably the Facebook algorithm a little bit more to pick winners and losers if you're prioritizing ROAS. If you're prioritizing building out a brand's playbook that you're going to export to your landing pages, to your emails, then I would say maybe you want to structure the spend in a more controlled manner. I see people debate this all the time on Twitter, Jim. It's a pretty interesting debate. I find a lot of the buzz out there is more catered towards the even $20,000 spend a day crowd, not necessarily the startup space we work in. So I would say evaluate your goals. If it is building out that playbook, structure it so things spend consistently. And then I would recommend only testing really one big swing a week, but focus on something that is meaningfully different. A big problem I see is an overfixation of the details. Is the banner at the bottom blue or pink? Do we have this lifestyle photo or that lifestyle photo? And maybe they're just different angles of the same outfit with the same model. Those are not going to get you anywhere, to be honest. And you are much better off taking a wild swing, introducing a huge wild card. And even if it flops, at least you learned something. So that would be my recommendation on cadence. Once per week, you should be introducing something new. If that's not possible for you, that's okay. We have to be realistic about the resources we're able to allocate. And if that's the case, then maybe you lean more on landing page testing, which is also very important. Um, Creative is not just the only variable here. And you can get pretty far with four creatives a month and then changing out other variables. But I will warn people on over depending on targeting as their lever when it comes to paid acquisition. It's very up and down. The algorithm itself has undergone a lot of changes. And so testing is important from the perspective of we need to have a portfolio is how I think of audiences. We need to have a portfolio of different approaches so that as the algorithm shifts, we're not over dependent on one that completely bottoms out. For example, when iOS 14.5 rolled out, we saw the impact of lookalikes massively tank. Now, it is different for every brand because every brand has a unique data ecosystem and has a different amount of volume and different marketers are taking different approaches to it. You know, are they doing a 1% versus are you doing a 10%? There's lots of things to consider. So I want to caveat everything I'm saying here with the details matter and it, your situation may differ from another startup's. But over depending on targeting is going to be, I think, a death spiral swirl down the toilet um, if you're doing it and not paying attention to creative. So if you're at least doing four creative a month, then introducing some of those other optimization levers, I think you will be in decent shape. Of course, if you're able to double that testing cadence, that could help you learn a lot faster and then start to build out that playbook sooner rather than later so then you can incrementally tweak things. So basically, it's like, yes, you can do experiments around targeting. You can have lookalikes. And for people listening, that means you could input your email list and Facebook will find the people on the email list and then find 2 million people plus similar to those people you just imported. And you could target them. You can do lookalikes off of your website traffic. You have these custom audiences where it's like, hey, people that like Nordstrom, people that like this brand, I can target. 
And then you have this idea of broad where you're essentially betting on the Facebook algorithm to be like, hey, we know all your data very well. We're going to find people. And it sounds like going more towards broad is is what is performing well, where in the past it was getting more nuanced and, and how you would target. But what you're saying is, well, yes, those levers are important. The biggest swing is creative and not just doing nuanced tests, but like let's do big swing experiments. Let's do a user generated content from a customer or an influencer versus a very aspirational high production video or, or whatever that could be. And so one thing you hit on just to simplify this idea of consolidated events um, and what that means. And because when people are setting up a campaign, there's a lot of questions like, wait, do I set this up for traffic views, for add to carts, for purchases? And, oh, wait, Facebook tells me I have to get 50 events in a week to get out of learning. And so it's really optimized. You know, I only have 10K to spend. How should I be thinking about that? Because I think you have a very simplistic approach to the campaigns, which is why the ROI has been really good on some of those budgets that are really like preparing to scale? That's a great question. What we do at Growth Hit is different than what historically I've seen done. And I think it's a good thing for the people we serve at the level of spend they're at and the level of maturity. Everything I'm saying may not apply to Nordstrom, who's been running ads for probably a decade with million-dollar budgets. That is a different game entirely. So if, if that's your situation, apologies. Um, you know, maybe you can still try some of these things and test them. But when it comes to the space you and I play in, Jim, it's really difficult out the gate to be getting 50 purchases per week for some of these brands at a low budget. There's some businesses that are not at that level of their business total. They're not even getting 50 purchases you know, completely on their Shopify or WooCommerce site yet. So is Facebook marketing not for them? That's a fair question. What we do is we start and set our sites higher in the funnel when we're first starting. This helps us get quick wins quickly instead of spinning our wheels for over a month until the data volume is meaningful enough to make any decisions. What this functionally looks like is we'll often start with some traffic campaigns, start to test different creatives, understand, okay, what's actually getting people's attention enough to even consider us and get them to the site. Then once we're confident that we're consistently able to grab people's attention, then we'll move on to something like add to carts or initiate checkout. Our goal then is to hit that 50 events per week within our budget at the initiate checkout level. Once we hit our 50 per week, then we'll move on to purchases. I've seen many teams try to go straight for the purchases, straight for the jugular directly without building up any data volume in the algorithm. You could be lucky and hit a home run. It's very rare. Often you have to spend a lot of money to get the algorithm, the right type of data signal and enough at-bats to achieve an efficient CAC without staging it the way we do. So it's not a very common approach, I would say, um, this reverse funnel or you know just starting higher in the funnel. But I will say it's very effective at getting the data signal up. Now, just because you achieve the 50 purchases per week, does that mean you pause the traffic campaign? It depends. 
I will say, especially when you're entering periods of time of instability or volatility, it could be because your business is seasonal and all of a sudden your flagship product isn't relevant to anyone because maybe you sell Santa hats and it's not Christmas anymore. Or it could just simply be the algorithm shifts and iOS 14.5 just came out or Facebook just deprecated and removed a bunch of interest targeting and we've been depending on those. So now we're in some volatility. Either way, that will definitely be a time where you want to diversify and be spending across these different funnel segments. It doesn't have to be a lot of budget. It doesn't take a lot of money to get traffic of a meaningful volume because the CPMs are much lower. So you could even spend maybe $5 per day on a traffic campaign or even $5 per day on a brand awareness or a post engagement optimization. There's certain optimizations that you'll actually be able to dark post into your initiate checkout and your purchase optimized campaigns too. So that helps you build up some social proof and credibility on your ads, which should, according to Facebook, impact the CPM as it improves the engagement rates. And then that is going to help your efficiency. So there's not a straightforward answer here. I would say there's room for using every optimization in the funnel. The caveat is we do not want to over-segment and spread ourselves too thin. So a challenge I see a lot of brands step into is they're like, okay, we know we need to be attracting people high in the funnel who then we can activate over the next six months because we recognize it takes five to 12 touches for our particular customer before they finish checking out. That's very common and that's great. So maybe in that case, you'll have a lead magnet. Maybe you'll give away an ebook or, you know, as the example of the, the marketer's uh, growth playbook that you, you um, wrote, Jim, that's a great example of a lead magnet. The, the trick is you need to make sure that you have the creative bandwidth to support all of these different lanes and that you have enough budget to support them. So it's, it doesn't need the same amount of budget, but it still needs your attention. It still needs the team to be backing it up. Um, and it still needs the creative to support. Yeah. Well, I think you hit on some good stuff there too with, you know, there's going to be volatility when you're on these platforms from macro reasons to platform reasons. And so it's it's smart to be able to play campaigns a different way. Another question I think people have is like, okay, that's great. I'm on Facebook and Instagram running ad campaigns. At what point do I look at other channels? What about Google? What about, you know, TikTok? What about Pinterest? Um, when should they be exploring there or when should they not be? That's a great question. One I get all the time. If I was a CMO, I definitely would want to be experimenting on other channels ASAP. However, as a growth marketing consultant, I often disagree with that. And I'll kind of unpack why. When it comes to experimenting on channels, we do understand that Facebook is at a level of maturity where it's not going to continue to grow at the same pace as it used to. And we're seeing a higher adoption in the market. There's more and more competition. Everybody who is in marketing knows Facebook marketing is important and just paid social in general. Whereas five years ago, believe it or not, there were still some companies that were naysayers who were saying, this is not for me. I'm not going to jump into that. Well, today you're seeing even, you know, the most traditional businesses throw their hat in the ring. And that is driving up CPMs. It's driving up costs for the impressions. So I would recommend 
even if you're not, if you don't have the budget, if we're still at maybe under a 30K budget per month, it may not be appropriate to actually spend on another channel. Instead, what I would recommend is start investing in production of assets, primarily influencer assets. This is a great way to go because you can still use it on Facebook and Instagram. You don't have to only use it on net new platforms, but if you can develop the muscle of getting better referrals, better affiliates, better influencer style, user generated style, we call it UGC is the jargon that gets thrown around. That muscle is critical to be competitive. I think over the next several years, we may see another big shift in the style of creative that works, but having someone authentically excited about what you do telling other people about it is the most effective way to communicate your message. And this is no different than the traditional word of mouth. Word of mouth is still super effective. Um, Even before we had all this fancy attribution and could shove ads in people's phones at them all day, every day. Now, if you're not spending more than 30K a month, it's very hard for me to justify, to be honest, spending on multiple platforms unless you have special expertise where you're able to produce the content and manage the content yourself. I'm sure there are some unicorns out there that have this internal muscle. Maybe you're a marketing agency or maybe you are in-house a a VC firm or something like that. So you're working across different silos. That might be an instance where it makes sense. But usually, Jim, people don't have the assets that are appropriate to support the other channels. The assets you need for Pinterest look different than what they look like on Facebook. On TikTok, definitely so. And the needs on TikTok are massive. Ads fatigue super quickly. You can tweak very small things in your videos, like change the hook first three seconds or change some text overlay to get more life out of it. But you realistically need like an ad a day to really get that engine working in a consistent and reliable way which is way higher than Facebook and the UGC format is way more costly to invest in. Pinterest does not take as much love, I'll be honest. Those ads in the past, I've really just rotated once a month. So if you can come up with four assets a month for Pinterest, that might make sense. However, it is very much considered a top of funnel play, not a bottom funnel play. You're definitely not going to see those CACs that you see on Facebook Even if the attribution on Facebook is suffering from what it used to be, it's probably still going to be stronger than Pinterest. Of course, I've seen exceptions to that. I have seen brands that out the gate perform better on Pinterest, but they are rare. And of course, they're more visually driven, typically something like apparel. um, And most businesses, this is not going to be the case for. We could talk about Snapchat. That's another example where I think it's more similar to Pinterest than TikTok. And there's some creative ways to do it. But at the end of the day, the more you segment your budget, the more you are limiting the volume of data that goes to each individual platform. It's the same theory when we're talking about aggregating on Facebook itself. When you think about your structure, is it better to have 20 ad sets or is it better to have two? It's almost always better to have two. So the same theory here applies. The data volume is going to dramatically shrink if you segment your under 30K budget and you're really going to hamstring each individual platform. That said, I'm sure there's exceptions. If I was a CMO, of course, I'd argue against this, which is the situation I find myself in often, is kind of playing both sides. 
But I would say you need to invest in organic first. And then once you prove viability in organic, then it makes sense to split up your ad spend. I know that was a really long-winded answer. Is there any specific thing you want to focus on? Yeah, no, I agree with that because, you know, so many brands, even we we were spending 100K a month and we were just on Facebook, Instagram and Google and like Google shopping. And what I worry about, I see so many founders, like they'll start to get traction on a channel. They're like, all right, that's kind of working. Let's now let's figure out the next one. It's like, actually, we should be squeezing the most out of this and focus rather than, you know, trying to spread ourselves out. And I think especially from a performance marketing standpoint, like Facebook, Instagram, Google is, is where I'm wanting to put most of the money with heavy emphasis on Facebook and Instagram. I mean, the only like contradiction I'd give myself is similar to you is like, as you get high on your spin, you can diversify a little bit more, but it's like take maybe 20% max of the budget, probably less 10%. And then you could test on other channels just to get some signals but focus is so important in those early days until you're spending to your point 30k, 50k, 100k a month, just because you know these companies they don't they don't have the bandwidth to to, to manage all of that. I, I'd be also interested, you know, even just going back to this idea of, of running growth and even like your career track. I think this is super helpful just to like. I think people like get into your mind of like how you think out about running paid acquisition. So I'd put a question on you, like there's this idea of a T-shaped marketer where you can speak to a lot of things, right? Like email, landing pages, CRO, paid ads, you know, affiliate marketing. You have this, like, if you think of a T, the, the top, you know, horizontal line are all those things. And then the, the vertical part of the T is where you go deep on something. So you clearly go deep on paid acquisition and very deep on social ads. Like, how does this align with your overall career trajectory? Because you, you kind of have this option. You could be this specialist. It's like, you know what? I'm going to be Jordan's social ads person, Jordan. That's like all I do for my career. Or you could be like, you know what? I want to go deeper on some other things where it might not be as deep, but allows me to really like round out what I know. But I guess it all depends on like that career tract. It's like, is the path to be a CMO? Is the path to be a founder? Is the path to be the best paid ads person in the world? But I don't know if you think about that as you choose like when to go deep on things. Because I think what's also fun is your core thing is, is running growth and paid acquisition. But hey, we're testing launching a YouTube channel. And that's kind of new to both of us. I think you have more experience than I do. But it's also fun to get exposure to the content marketing side of it. But Taking a step back, like how does all this fit into like where you'd want to go with your career? Well, that's such a great question and putting me on the spot. This is our um, publicly broadcasted development session. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is your annual but, review coming up next. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I we are overdue. Um, <laughs> no, I definitely am more attracted to that T shape that you outlined because things are always changing. I don't think the landscape of paid acquisition is going to look at all the same in 10 years, just like it's very different than it was 10 years ago from now. That's why I'm more drawn to that. And I'm just very fascinated with psychology and, and what gets people moving, like what excites people, what interests people, as well as figuring out how can we be of better service to our customers in whatever we do. 
How can we surprise and delight them? How can we make their day better? And that can touch so many different points of the process. I'm not really a CX expert, but I've always been fascinated with CX, which is just customer experience, right? And it looks different in different models, but in the D2C model, of course, paid social and organic social are a huge part of it. It's it's where you are building community. And well, I should caveat that. like Not every brand has a community, but it's definitely where you're able to engage with communities that are out there already. Um, so as I think about why I'm drawn to be more holistically about growth, it's because the industry is changing and I'm just an endlessly curious person. It's not really good enough for me to master something and just continue to do reps of the same thing. I'm always wanting to learn new skills. Recently, one of our designers, one of our senior designers, Mike, I was asking the team, hey, I don't know how to zoom in to Figma and it's a problem. Can someone give me some recommendations? And so Mike sent me this amazing class. I'm about halfway through it. I built my first wireframe gym. I have not shared it with the team. What? I don't think it's worthy of sharing out since it, it really was just me practicing. But I like to do those things, A, because it makes me stronger in my position. I'm able to speak with more authority about what's possible. I'm able to get more creative because I understand the tools and the boundaries better. I'm able to collaborate with my team much more effectively because I understand their environment better. So I think marketing in general is being forced to become more integrative. The days of having silos that don't speak to each other is long gone. Even in traditional businesses, you don't really have just a billboard guy and just a print guy and just an email guy. Like that, that is not an effective team. They may exist, but there's just so much efficiency lost. And it's so fun to come together with a cohort of people who have expertise across different areas and we can cross share knowledge. But also having one person who's able to look across all of them and bring things together is a huge asset. I know in the EOS system, they call this the integrator. And that's more about integrating a business. But I think marketing teams need an integrator too. You need someone who's thinking from ends to ends, the full funnel, how is this going to impact people? And it is very rare. There's very few marketers, I think, who are allowed to sit in this position. So it's a true privilege to be able to be involved in all of these different pieces and bring that journey to the next level for everyone who is going through it. That's really cool. I, I also like being a beginner, you know what I mean? Having to learn something new because there's something exciting about learning something new because you learn so much. You'll never be this like, you know, professional of a designer, but also learning how to do Figma and like do quick little ugly mock-ups but are good enough for like my YouTube video. It's, I love that. And even like with business, like having to be like, uh, a CFO, having to be head of HR, having to be head of sales, um, even though I'm not the best person at it, it's, it, it keeps it energizing. So, so very cool. Well, Jordan, this was awesome. Where can people go if they want to get more content from Jordan or see more of what you're doing? Sure. There's a few places. So as Jim teased, we are launching the growth hit YouTube. So far, it has been very scrappy. I'm going to be honest. It's mostly <laughs> videos I have made and a script for this year. 
Um, so you can find me there. I think you can find that through the growth, growth hit website. So that should be easy to find. I have 17, I think maybe 18 followers on Twitter. I have re-entered the Twitter sphere. Um, I'm having a lot of fun there and really stepping up my game. I've kind of mixed up the type of content I do there. So, you know, if you're just interested in chatting and kind of being friends, that would probably be the best way to casually interact with me. My handle is at Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N underscore. I think it's the letter, the number two and then spelled out the moon. So, you know, not the most SEO friendly handle, <laughs> but um, you can find me there. Uh, my DMs are open for, you know, any marketing <laughs> conversations. Um, I am on LinkedIn, have a pretty big presence there, but I'll be honest, I don't enjoy it as much. So you're very welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn and connect. Um, and if you have any questions, you can reach out there. But I would say if you are doing Twitter, that is a much more casual environment. So would love to see anybody there. Yeah, Jordan to the moon, pretty, pretty sick handle. Well done. And also um, with our D2C brand that we're launching, we're very much sharing the work there. And now that this prototype is so close to being done, um, we'll be able to run some paid campaigns for it. So Jordan will definitely, she um, she does not need my permission at all. She can share whatever she wants with what she's uh, doing with that account or what we're doing together. So that'll be a fun one as well. But Jordan, thanks for coming on. This was fun. Yeah, thanks, Jim. I will see you later. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.